that this brass lectern, really, that's fitted into the pulpit, was actually put into memory of somebody who died 100 years ago. Uh, Helen Barr Wilson, MBCHB, so obviously she was an educated lady um, of the Wilson family. Perhaps Mrs. Thompson might remember them. She died the 5th of October, 1920, and she was only 24 years of age. I don't know anything more about it. But it's a reminder to us that whether we gather here in the Lord's house or whether we gather in our homes, we join together in worship with the communion of saints, with God's people down through the ages, with God's people in other parts of the world. We're bound together. And that thing which binds us together, this brass lectern put into the pulpit of the church here, is a reminder we're gathered together round God's word. And down through the ages, in different times of challenge, Back in 1920, recovering perhaps maybe after the flu of the, the Spanish flu of that period. I don't know whether then to do with that or not, but 65 million people died with the Spanish flu. Down through a time of war, through a time of crisis, through personal calamities and worldwide upheavals. Nonetheless, God's people down through the ages in various ways and various forms by Zoom. Here gathered in the church in private homes, gathered as just a handful of people for fear of persecution. God's people have gathered round his word and we're doing that Sunday by Sunday and we have done that Sunday by Sunday throughout this time of crisis and challenge so let's hear together God's word and this morning we're picking up on our themes from prayer and what Paul prayed about and things that were important to him in prayer and therefore hopefully important to us as we pray so I'm going to read together from Colossians chapter 1 and again perhaps if you have your own Bible with you um, one of the things we're not meant to do is have Bibles in the seats at the moment. Um, we'd have to have them in plastic covers, and we'd have to fumigate them every time after every event, so that would be a wee bit of a hassle. So it's encouraging that folk have brought their Bibles with them. Thank you for doing that. And in our own home, let's read together Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verses 1 to 13, although we're only looking at uh, a particular verse this morning. But let's read the whole context. And as I say, this was put in in memory of a lady of faith, no doubt who died a hundred years ago, and that just reminds us of what is important in life and in living. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, 
being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have a great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. May God bless to us this reading from his own holy word, and to his name be the praise and the glory. I must say, I would have had sympathy for the scribe who had the job of writing down what Paul was saying when he was dictating these letters. Uh, at school, I was not known for my great grasp of grammar. Maybe you're sitting here saying, well, we know that. Um, in, in speech or even in my writings, I know when I give my letter, pastoral letter to Helen, she very nicely, and I've encouraged her to do that, corrects my grammar and makes it at least a bit more readable. Um, and Paul's grammar, in a sense here, um, goes out the window because he's so passionate. Indeed, those verses from verse 9 through to verse 13, that's actually one big long sentence. And the scribe is desperately trying to, 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 to write it down. And maybe perhaps even he would maybe stop as, as, as secretaries used to do in the past when they were doing shorthand and say, just hold a wee minute, what was that again? Because Paul here is passionate about the people he's writing to. We're told that these are people that he's heard about. In verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And before we even go into the, the meat of what we're thinking about this morning, that's encouraging, isn't it? During this time, especially, but during life in general, and maybe things have been happening and, and we're finding it difficult, and perhaps someone has, has assured us by personal conversation or by a text or by a letter or a card or something else, but they've indicated that they've been praying for us. We find that encouraging. We find that comforting. It's, it's helpful to know that someone is thinking about us and bringing us before God in prayer. And here's Paul, a man of great intellect in many ways, a man of great ability, a great apostle of the church. And yet, as he writes to these churches, to these fellowships, as he speaks about people, we saw last Sunday, he mentions Epaphras, who had been involved in the ministry of building up the church and policy. As, as he heard from him and heard about what God was doing, he committed himself to praying. And so, as I said last week, so I say again, above everything else, we can remember each other in prayer. And so whether you're in home and you're thinking about the people normally you would sit beside in church or sitting here this morning in the sanctuary and you're just thinking about the people round about you, then if you do nothing else spiritually in a sense this week, then remember the people you see. Maybe you can't talk to them too easily at the moment, but remember who's sitting round about you or remember the people you normally sit beside and quite consciously in your mind and in your heart, pray for them. Mention their names. And if you don't know your names, then we'll find out. And think about them. And what's going on in their lives? What's going on? We don't know. We don't know what's going on in every situation, but God does. And that is a vital ministry. And that's a ministry that Paul, the busy man that he was, took time to do, not just for the church and policy, but the church all about. And what was he praying for them for? 
Well, if I was to ask you this morning what the, the, the thing we needed most at the present time, I wonder what your answer would be. Probably most of us, or many of us anyway, would say, well, we need a vaccine for this COVID-19 so that we can in some way get back to inverted commas normal. And we hear that perhaps a vaccine may be available by the turn of the year, although by the time it's sent out, if it does work, uh, and, and taking that it does work and it does do what it's meant to do, although it's not going to uh, make sure that make everybody anti-COVID, but at least it will cut back those who will go get the infection and how badly the infection will get, then a vaccine will come. So perhaps that's what you're looking for. Perhaps you're wanting a one-way ticket to a desert island, frankly, or to New Zealand, or somewhere else, just to get away from it all. You wouldn't maybe want to admit that to everybody, but you're desperate somehow for the present circumstances to change and just to be able to you know, beam me up to some other place where you would be removed from the pressures and challenges of this age. I don't know. What in your heart do you need most this morning? It may be peace in the midst of the storm. It may be comfort as you are worried about a loved one and their health and well-being. It may be concern for your family, for your own children or your grandchildren, about how they're growing up and how this is affecting them. Each one of us will have things that we're asking God to help us with or to intervene in or to provide. The folk that Paul was writing to in Colossae would have had similar things, although it was a very different world. In many ways, people are human beings, whatever time and whatever environment they live in. They would have had many of the same challenges. Remember, they didn't have COVID-19, but they had plenty of other illnesses that were drastic and were deadly. Far more deadly than a present virus. They lived in an environment which was increasingly hostile. And persecution was beginning to rise and was going to become very obvious and very strong in the years that lay ahead of the church. People were going to be dragged off and thrown to the lions or whatever. They would have had domestic concerns, as we all have, about jobs, about work, about their future. The same pressures, the same circumstances. You know, it wasn't really that much different from Bible times. And Paul, no doubt, as he prayed for them, prayed for all these things. But notice here, particularly this morning, that there is something quite specific he asks God for. Look what he says. Later, latter part of verse 9. We continually... Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, we might hear that. We're going to be sitting here this morning and we think, well, that's all very well. It sounds a bit airy-fairy, you know, a bit kind of up there, out the road. You know, <laughs> my needs and my concerns or the concerns of our society or concerns of our world are far more immediate, far more practical, far more demanding than some kind of a kind of super spiritual statement. But actually what Paul is asking for, for the church and policy, I would suggest is what we all need at home or here in the church. We all need this morning. We all need to know what God's will is, what God is saying, what God is doing in the midst of this present time. We all need wisdom and understanding 
as we try to make sense, and as we try as followers of Jesus to help others to believe and to know that God actually is at work. God is actually is at present. He is in the midst of all that's happening in our world. And we all need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. He asked that God would, uh, the, he asked God the Father to fill them with the knowledge of His will. Now, let's be honest. Knowledge again is one of these words. All these words and all these concepts can appear to be, as I say, a bit airy fairy. Knowledge is one of these things. Somebody's once said that somebody's knowledge can also be somebody's nonsense. And we're living in a time, certainly in our own society, where there is growing skepticism. There was already skepticism about so-called experts and. People would go to their doctors now. Well, when you could, you can't do that at the moment, can you? You're trying to get a doctor as well. <laughs> we'll not go into that, but you know what I mean. But you would go to your doctor, and you'd sometimes, and Helen would be tell us when, when her husband was a doctor, some patients would have gone on the internet beforehand and would have the cheek or temerity or whatever to tell the doctor what was wrong with them. But you know, because they knew better, because they had gone online, they had googled their symptoms, and they had found out from somebody online what their you know, condition was, and they would never just go along to the doctor in order to get him or her to confirm. And we live in a day where access to knowledge, or at least information, is you know, it's all around us, even as we sit here. All this stuff in the air and the, the net is there for us to gain knowledge. But there would be many who would say that in such a day where so much knowledge is available, we're also living in a day of so much ignorance, so much confusion. So much apathy and indifference. So much foolishness. It's very hard, isn't it, to be somebody who would be knowledgeable. I was reading an article yesterday in the paper, and this was um, the view of some of our members of Parliament. I'll read it to you because it just explains just how challenging a time we live in. This MP, or a couple of MPs are writing, and they're saying this, we've begun to hate the scientists. He says, you get these guys in sage briefing journalists going in the telly saying the PM must bring in a national lockdown. Why are they allowed to do that? And he goes on in a wee bit of rant about this. And then even worse, another MP says this, the only reason Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Valence, and he mentions others, are calling for harsher measures is that they're, and I'm not going to use the word that's used, it means basically that they're making a mess in their trousers, over the future public inquiry. They don't want to face questions and whether their advice was the reason for 10,000 deaths. Knowledge is controversial. Having knowledge can be dangerous. And how we interpret knowledge is no longer accepted just because I'm six feet above contradiction here in the pulpit. Well, the minister must be right as well. And so when Paul here talks about knowledge, what does he mean? Well, notice what he says. He says he's asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will. He's asking for believers to know God and God's will, God's heart, God's mind, God's passion. Many of us, or a good number of us anyway, in the various fellowship groups that are actually meeting in person have been looking at the book of Proverbs. 
And we're doing that quite consciously because it is the book, as the name suggests, a book about proverbs and wisdom. Indeed, we looked at the, the chapter we introduced in a sense a couple of weeks ago in one of our sermons, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And the book of Proverbs goes on to open up what is this wisdom, what is this knowledge that Paul, for instance, is talking about. Well, he puts it and describes it in a very personal way. He describes knowledge not as some abstract, airy-fairy set of notions that people might agree or disagree with, but actually in a personal way substantive way. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and plying your heart to understanding, instead of you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk as blameless, for he guards the course of the just, protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. And then he goes on to say, wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Then you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. And you could read on. And wisdom here is not some airy-fairy philosophical notion or indeed something that's open for debate in a sense, for contrary opinions. Wisdom is personal. It's pertinent and it's powerful it impacts on life and living it makes sense of life and living and the very language that's used in the book of proverbs and the language that paul's using here is not an it it's not as i say a theory it's a person and so when Paul says we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. He's speaking about knowing someone, not just something. And he makes that clear. Verse 27 of chapter 1. To them, Paul writes, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is... A lot of information up here, accessing, googling the internet and finding out what someone somewhere thinks about things. No, the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Later on in chapter 2, in the very same theme, he says he prays that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so, what am I saying? 
When Paul says he's praying for people to grow in knowledge, he's speaking about not more knowing more about stuff, even if it's religious stuff. He's asking, he's praying that people would get to know and grow in a knowledge of Jesus, the wisdom of God incarnate. It was Jesus who in his ministry in life made it clear that his will was to do his father's will. John 4 and verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 6 and 38, just listen to these verses. All of those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So in our prayers in this coming week, As we pray for each other in the fellowship of this church, we're praying, or at least I hope we're praying, not simply, I mean, there is a a part of knowing stuff, of course there is, but primarily that we would all get to know Jesus better, in whom the wisdom and knowledge of God is found. And that's what's at the heart of all this. And perhaps that's why at this time of crisis, particularly, it's vital that we focus afresh on what we're about. As I said last Sunday, as a church, all we can do is worship. We can't even sing, which is something I find very hard not to want to do, obviously, because as a church, we love gathering together to praise. I'm sure that some of us sitting here this morning think, was this a service? And I appreciate that fully. But actually, At the heart of worship is not actually our vocalizing, although that's very important. (laughs) A month or so ago I spoke about that. It's very important, singing to God and lifting our voices to God. Of course it is. But at the heart of worship is us recognizing, acknowledging, and drawing nearer to Jesus, in whom all the wisdom and understanding of God is revealed. And actually, that's all I want to say this morning. There's plenty more in the rest of these verses. And we'll look at them over the coming Sundays. But that, in a sense, is enough to get our head round. In a day when there is so much talk, in the day when there is so much scepticism about knowledge, about information, and about those who seem to have it and, and are sharing it or telling us it in society, and for very understandable reasons, in such a day, above everything else as believers, as we pray for each other, we are to continually ask God to fill us with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And that comes from knowing and growing in our intimate relationship with Jesus. Of course, just as we draw to a close, of course that involves supernatural things. Prayer is, as I said last Sunday, a supernatural event. And and therefore he speaks about growing through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit 
gives. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us to do that. And Paul again picks up on that. Again, these verses, just as we draw to our close. Writing to the church in Corinth that claimed to be very knowledgeable and very wise and had plenty of people who knew plenty of stuff and therefore looked down their noses at Paul and other things and thought, well, they're not really very able, so we're not going to listen to them. This is what Paul writes. Quoting from Isaiah, he writes, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. He goes on to say, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. My friends, you may well not have a university degree. This dear lady that passed away in 1920, obviously was quite educated. MBCHB, is that not a medical qualification? To be a doctor. She was obviously, and for a woman, back then, that was a big thing. She was obviously a very knowledgeable person. And she died as a young woman, 24, perhaps caught something in hospital or something else or, or whatever. We don't know. But interesting enough, just thinking about it, what did our parents want to do in order to remember? They could have put perhaps a stained glass window in. They could have, you know, given some other gift to the church. But they actually gifted this lectern, this brass lectern that stood, stood the test of time for 100 years in order that this Bible would rest upon it so that the wisdom of God and Jesus Christ could be proclaimed and preached from this pulpit. Because they saw, and I presume she saw, that that tr was true knowledge, true wisdom that brings life, life in all its fullness, that makes sense of who we are, of why we're here, and of what's going on. makes sense why a woman of 24, able and educated with her whole life in front of her, should die. That comes from the wisdom of God revealed in Jesus Christ, who turns the world upside down, and who challenges the foolishness and wisdom of this present age, and gives us the courage also to challenge it and to see through it, and to respond accordingly. And that all happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, my friends, until we recognize we need his help to reveal to us Jesus, and to draw us in our knowledge search of him, that we'll not even understand what Paul is going on about here. For this reason, Paul writes, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And our prayer, my prayer, for us and for God's church in our world is that in these days we too may grow 
and the knowledge of God. Amen. Let's pray together. We come, O God, our Father, as those who are humbled by your grace. Your grace revealed in Jesus Christ, whose desire and delight was to do the will of him who sent him. That will was to have a people ransomed, healed, and restored, and forgiven to bring into the Father's house. We thank you that by your grace, we, through Christ, are part of that number without number. And that we're joined by the Holy Spirit, that communion of saints with your church throughout our world, and yes, with those who have gone before us. Lord, in my own heart, I'm particularly moved this morning, just as I saw that inscription in this lecture. Can't even begin to imagine how parents would feel. A daughter with so much ability, trained to be a doctor, should die at age 24. And yet, instead of turning away from you, they gifted this lecture so that the unsearchable riches of Christ, God's grace, might be proclaimed. And so we pray in this day and in our generation that here and indeed throughout your church in our land we may continue to grow in the knowledge of your will revealed in Jesus Christ. We pray that for one another as we sit in our homes. We think of those we normally sit beside in church, perhaps after six, seven months we can barely remember, perhaps who everybody is, but we picture them before you. And as we sit here in church, we think of those round about us. And as we journey, and Lord, by all accounts, this is a long journey that's going to last well into next year, as we journey on, we thank you that you have a purpose and that you are actually working out your purposes through these times. That in a new and deeper and fresher way, you're reminding us of what really matters. And ultimately, what really matters is you, O oh God, our rock, our refuge, our present time of need. And so we ask, O oh Holy Spirit, as frail and fragile as I, the preacher, may be that you have taken your word and you will apply it to our hearts. And now may your grace and your mercy and your peace rest upon us and journey with us this day and forevermore. Amen.